everyone. Welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We are kicking off a brand new series in the book of James, who was the brother of Jesus. This week, we're focusing specifically on suffering and the fact that life is hard. Follow along as James calls us into a posture of joy in the midst of that suffering and how that's even possible. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Well, let me go ahead and say it again. For those in the back, welcome again to Fellowship Greenville students. We are so thankful that you guys are here. And uh, man, just excited to learn with you and study with you and get into God's Word with you tonight. If this is your first time ever, thanks so much for being here. Um, We are delighted that you're here. We love you guys so much. We want you to know that you're loved here. We believe you have a place to belong here. And you've come on a great week. If it's your first time ever or first time in a while, or you're a regular, you've come on a fantastic week because, as we've already discussed, we just finished our annual retreat. We call it Epic, but we just finished our annual retreat where we dove into the life of a man named Peter, and we looked at the concepts in Peter's life of grace and the hope of the presence of Jesus in the midst of his shame and, and uh, denials and doubts and all those things. We, we, we just dove right in and kind of looked at this reset idea about Peter. And as we were praying and thinking about this fall, coming out of Epic, where do we feel like the Spirit is leading us this fall for our students, for you guys? I just kept coming back to this idea of the book of James, the book of James. Go ahead, turn there in your Bibles. Go ahead and get a thumbnail in there or a a thumbnail. What do they call it? Thumbprint? No. What am I thinking of? No, I don't know what I'm thinking of, but go ahead and put your finger there. Go ahead and save it, dog ear it, bend the corner, whatever you need to do. We're going to be in the book of James. In fact, we're going to be there over the course of the next few weeks. Why James? Well, one of the reasons is because James is a very, very practical, like, how-to book of the Christian faith. A couple of things I want you to know about the book of James. It is one of the earliest letters or the earliest Uh, manuscripts that was written in the New Testament. So this is one of the earliest things that was floating around and being delivered to the churches that were meeting oftentimes in secret because of the heavy persecution against them. So James is kind of like, hey man, I'm not, I'm not here to mince words. I'm not here to waste time. Let's get right to it. I mean, it's, it's heavy, it's direct, it's right away, but it's very practical. It's very like how to. And so I thought, man, we, we're going to have so many students coming out of Epic. They're going to have made faith decisions or they're going to have made decisions repenting of sin or coming back to Jesus. This is a fantastic book that kind of says, hey, for those of you who believe in Jesus, this is what it looks like to walk in the faith. In fact, you could kind of sum up the book of James like this. Oh, you say you have faith? Awesome. Let's see it. James is very practical, very application oriented. Now, if you're in the room tonight and you're like, dude, I I don't know where I'm at in the faith. I'm kind of on a journey. I'm trying to discover some things. I don't know if I believe in Jesus, really. I'm, I'm asking questions. I have doubts. That's okay. You're just as welcome here and you belong here just as much as everyone else in the room and you're just as loved. In fact, this is also a great book for you guys. If you're in the room tonight and you don't know where you're at in your faith in Jesus, you're kind of like wandering, you're discovering, you're experimenting, you're trying some things out. This is a fantastic book because James is going to lay out what Christian life looks like. 
And so what a great book for you to say, hey, let me hear all about what normal Christian life should look like. And then that might help me decide, am I really in this thing or not? Am I about Jesus or not? This is a great book. So no matter where you're at on the spiritual spectrum, this is a great book. James is a practical how-to. James is one of the earliest books. It was written in the midst of heavy persecution. In fact, you can flip over to the book of Acts chapter 8 and see this widespread persecution started to break out in the early church in Jerusalem. People were being beaten. People were being killed just because they believe in Jesus. And so this heavy, heavy persecution settles in. Nobody likes Christians. Everyone like wants to do away with them. And everyone runs for their lives. Literally, the city of Jerusalem has this mass exodus and all these Christians start running so that they won't be killed. James picks up a, a pen and he starts writing to them. Those who are on the run, those who are being dispersed, those who are trying to save their lives. This is what I want to say to you. So it's a powerful book. The setting in which it's written is really, really powerful. Last thing I want you to know about the book of James is James is Jesus's brother. So we're all familiar. Jesus was born to Mary. But we kind of forget, like, hey, maybe Mary and Joseph like, had some other kids in that family. They did. One of them was James. James is Jesus' half-brother. He was born to Mary. And so here's this dude who literally grew up in the home with Jesus. Show of hands, how many people in the room have siblings? Yes, I'm in that camp as well. How many people in the room are the younger sibling? Uh Uh-huh. I'm in that camp as well. Younger siblings unite. Younger siblings unite. You know what it's like. Your older sibling thinks they're always right about everything. They think they're so cool. (laughs) Because we are, man. Older siblings, man, they think they know it. Can you imagine, can you imagine having Jesus as your older sibling? And you go to mom and you go to complain. And you're like, he thinks he's always right. (laughs) Well, he is, son. But the interesting thing about James, the interesting thing about James is he grew up in the same home, in the same family as Jesus. And yet he did not believe Jesus to be God. I don't know how that sits on you, but that's kind of amazing to me. In fact, if you read the Gospels, it seems like Jesus' family did not think that he was God, except for his mom and dad. They seemed to get it. They seemed to believe. I mean, if you had visions of angels telling you, like, hey, you're about to have a baby, you might believe, okay, this is God. But the siblings, the brothers, sisters, they did not believe that Jesus was God. In fact, there's a couple of times in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching and he makes claims about who he is. And the siblings of Jesus try to seize him because they're like, he's crazy. What is he saying? We need to... And they don't believe in him. They don't have faith in him. James is the brother of Jesus, literally grew up in the house with Jesus and did not think Jesus was who he said he was. So how did he eventually pick up a pen and say, all right, but I need to write to the church? When did James believe in Jesus? It wasn't until much, much later in his life What made James believe in Jesus? Jesus dropped the Uno reverse card on death. (laughs) You know, like, I think that would, I think that would get a lot of us. I don't think that guy's God. He says a lot of crazy things. I went to his funeral last week. And then the next day he's standing in your living room like, brother James, brother James, let's have a conversation. Like, oh, (laughs) you were right. (laughs) 
In fact, if you go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, it says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to visit his brother James. Can you imagine that conversation? Y'all, dude, you believe me now? I'm back. And James is like, you are God. <laughs> thank you. So James believes, I didn't hear what you said, but I'm giving a thank you. James <laughs> believes in his brother as God. And he becomes passionate and adamant about his faith in his brother, believing that he is God. Now, the, the Bible doesn't record the, the entire life of James, but history picks up on it. And let me tell you how James dies. Shortly after James writes this letter, remember, persecution is breaking out. Everybody's trying to hunt down and kill Christians. Shortly after James writes this letter, he's taken, and he's taken to a high building, and he's thrown off. And the fall doesn't kill him. I know, it's a horrific way to go. And so literally he's at the base of this building and he's kind of wheezing his, his breaths. He's, he's in a lot of pain. He doesn't die from the fall. So they decide, well, let's grab some sticks and just finish him off. And so they come over and they beat him to death, laying there in the street. For his faith in his brother, Jesus. So the story of James to me is so compelling because here's this guy who all through his childhood and his teenage years did not think his brother was God, did not think his brother who, was who he said he was. And then the resurrection kind of confirmed this is God. James believes in him, becomes an advocate for the gospel, becomes a mouthpiece for the gospel, becomes a leader in the early church representing the faith initiated by his brother who's he's, who he's come to believe as God, and eventually he dies for this faith. His journey is incredible. So hey, this is an awesome encouragement. Again, if you're in the room tonight and you don't know where you're at in the faith, I just want you to know the story of James is for you. Here's a dude who grew up side by side with Jesus and just wasn't sure he believed. And Jesus shows up and reveals himself to James in ways that confirms, man, this is real. And James becomes one of the most passionate leaders and authors in the early church. And there's hope for everybody. You are not too far gone, no matter where you're at on the spectrum. So, James is a really fascinating book, very how-to book. Um, the other cool thing about James is he is about to dispense a lot of wisdom in very quick ways. So, has anybody ever had, like, dad talks or, like, dad vice? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, your dad just feels the need to let you know this is how life works. I don't know why, I don't know what age it is when they deem, yes, my child is ready for the dad advice that I have to give. And they walk into your room on a Saturday morning at like 6 a.m. They're like, what are you doing sleeping in? It's time for you to learn what life is. And they sit down with you and they begin to talk to you about things and you're like, what, what, what is happening right now? What is this? And they're talking to you about finances, how to invest money wisely. They're talking to you about relationships and love. They're talking to you about future. And you're literally like, what, what, is, what is happening right now? And they might drop a dad joke or two or a pun or something like that. They're hiking up their khaki shorts. And they got their high white socks. Their new balances have just enough grass stain on them. I mean, you know what I mean? Like this is, it's the dad vice. James, in many ways, is the dad 
sitting down with his children. Listen, if you're in the room, you're like, dude, I'd never experienced that. Don't worry, I'm in the same camp. I, I was trying to think. I can't recall a single time my dad sat down with me and was like, let me tell you what life's about. So <laughs> I know it's sad, uh, but we're in the camp together. But eventually I had like spiritual fathers who would do that. And this one in particular, every time he was about to drop some wisdom on me, we, we'd be sitting across the table and he always had this posture. He, he always had these mannerisms. He would lean back and kind of look up to the clouds. And, and I just knew wisdom was about to pour out of this man. And he would always begin it by saying my name, uh, but he would say Maddie. He'd go, Maddie. He'd pause a minute, and then whatever he would say next, I knew. It was like, oh, this is wisdom. This is dad vice. This man's not my dad, but this is dad vice. And that's where James is coming from. James has been a leader in the church. There's heavy persecution. The church is on the run. They're being scattered. James is leveraging his wisdom, his experience growing up with Jesus, his position. He's sitting down with the kids, and he's saying, hey, hey, I got... I got some advice. I want you to listen up. So let's go for a drive. I want to have a talk. Or when you come sit down, we'll have coffee together. Or let's go on a walk. I got some things to talk to you about. This is, this is Father James teaching the children of God. All right? So he gets right to it right away. You guys ready for the book of James? Okay, good. Thank you. It makes me feel good. A quiet church is usually a dead church, so I appreciate the noise. Thank you. All right. James, chapter 1. Well, before we get there, <laughs> here's what James wants you to know tonight. James has got some dad advice. He's got some life wisdom. Here's what he wants you to know tonight. He wants you to know this. Life is hard. Life is hard. Have, has anyone in the room ever thought to themselves, life is hard? Yeah? Show of hands. Anyone? Yes, you have. All of us have. Life is hard. Amen. We live, listen, we live in a Genesis 3 world. What I want you to know, what I want you to know is this was not the original plan of God. If you've heard me teach for long enough, especially last fall when I taught Heaven and Earth Collide, you heard me teach that the original plan of God was for us to be in perfect relationship with Him in something called paradise. We joined a rebellion against our creator and literally broke the world. The hope of the gospel is that God is restoring our relationship with him and restoring the reality we live in. And one day we will be back with him in paradise. We call this heaven, but back with him forever. And there'll be no sin, no brokenness, no sorrows, no shame, no tears. It's the hope that we look forward to. But in the meantime, we're in the in-between. We taste glimpses of heaven like, oh, life is so good sometimes. And then yet we're reminded of the wicked truth, which is life is hard. If you've ever asked yourself the question, how can so much evil exist in this world? You've picked up on the fact that life is hard. If you've ever wondered to yourself, why does God let bad things happen to good people? You've picked up on the truth. Life is hard. If you have ever noticed the insane amount of suffering and the injustice, and it seems like the unfair scales in this world, then you have noticed life is hard. James is about to sit us down. Father James is about to sit us down, and he's going to say, hey, kids, listen up. I got some advice. I got some wisdom. You need to know life is hard. And here's what he wants you to know tonight, that your perspective in life can literally determine your destination. Your perspective can determine 
your destination. In other words, two people can go through the exact same circumstances, but this person's perspective can lead them to an entirely different destination than this person's perspective. It's all about your posture of how you see things and how you respond to things. I'm going to give you a very real example. I have someone very, very close to me, and he is a a pair of brothers. He walks with the Lord. He loves the Lord. His brother does not. And one of the things that his brother will often say to him is, I don't get how we can grow up in the same house, be raised by the same parents, have the same circumstances, and your life turned out so good and mine didn't. That's why I'll never believe in God. Your perspective can determine your destination. James wants to drop some dad advice on us tonight and say, listen, life is hard. It's hard for everybody, but your perspective determines where you go. So let's jump in. James chapter one. Here we go. Verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In other words, to the people of God who are on the run. Greetings. Verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers. That can also be translated, my sons and daughters. Remember, this is dad vice. Father James is sitting down with his children. Count it all joy, my sons and daughters, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's like, what? Verse 2. Like usually in a, in a book of the Bible, you kind of get a greeting and it's like, hey, let me work up to some theology. Let me just say hey to a few people. Let me drop some cool like little spiritual nuggets. And then I'll get into some hard stuff. Remember, this is dad vice. He doesn't have time for that. Everyone's on the run. People are being murdered. James is writing and he's saying, look, 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 I just want you to know something. Life is hard. You're going to encounter trials, but your perspective determines your destination. Listen, count it all joy, my brothers, my sons and daughters, when you meet trials of various kinds. That is a hard pill to swallow. Like, James, you want us to, to okay, like, like, count, like, okay. <laughs> you want us to do what you're asking us to do? Like count it all joy when we have trials? Am I the only one in the room who who finds that verse a little like, I don't know, difficult? Not just difficult in understanding, but difficult in application. Like you want us to, to count it all joy? Joy when we have trials. Ha- have joy when we have trials. Hold on, buddy. <laughs> Talk to me afterwards. <laughs> You're in a trial right now. Count it all joy when we have trials. It's not, it's not the wisdom of the world, is it? It's not how we typically operate, is it? Typically, when we go through hard things, what do we do? We complain, we grumble, we become bitter, we get angry with people with God we start blaming we don't take responsibility for things we become angry we become short we're not pleasant to be around we're definitely not in a posture of thankfulness like real talk all right it's be real time okay (laughs) really (laughs) let me take my picture When is the last time that you went through something incredibly difficult and your first response was joy? (laughs) Thank you. Like, maybe you got there eventually, 
But James doesn't say, hey, 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 when you're going through trials, yeah, go ahead and get angry, go ahead and blame, go ahead and grumble, go ahead and say a few curse words if you need to, go ahead and get all that out, and eventually choose joy. That's not what he says. James says, choose joy, my sons and daughters, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Well, like, joy in the logic of James is the knee-jerk reaction to the fact that life is hard. How? I heard a story one time, this guy... Uh, <laughs> you kind of have to know him, but he, he's this very charismatic, very like over-the-top excited guy. And he was sharing this story one time that he was driving through the mountains late at night and his car broke down. He's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's dark on the side of the road. This is how like half of the horror movies start, right? Like dude with a mask on just standing there with a butcher's knife. No. But he, he broke down on the side of the road, and he called the towing company. He called whatever. Tow truck comes out. Tow truck rolls up, and the dude who broke down has this huge smile on his face. He's just standing there like... <laughs> now, if you're the tow truck driver, you might be thinking, yo, this is how half of the, <laughs> this is how half of the horror movies start. <laughs> this dude's about to murder me. And so he loads his car up on the back of the tow truck bed... The dude gets in and he's sitting there, and he's just smiling like they're driving and he's smiling like, so he had a plan. He was going somewhere. His plans got derailed because his car broke down. How many of us would immediately start, oh, this is so dumb, dude. Like we're in the middle of nowhere. It's black. It's dark. We can't see. It's kind of scary. We were supposed to be going somewhere. Now we're thinking about how much will this cost to fit? How long will it take? How am I going to, we get caught up in the moment. This dude is just smiling. He gets in the tow truck and he's sitting there smiling like <laughs> Tow truck driver eventually is like, hey man, I gotta ask, what, like, why are you so happy? And the guy just starts talking about Jesus. Because I know Jesus, man. I can't help but hide this smile. And tow truck driver's like, wow, what a weirdo. <laughs> like, and in the, in the process of picking him up, loading his car, and driving to the garage, this guy led the tow truck driver to the Lord, to faith in Jesus. Why? because of his joy in the midst of trials. Tow truck driver had never seen anything like it. Like how, who could break down and be happy? James is saying, when you butt up against the reality that life is hard, choose joy. Joy is a choice, choose it. How? How, 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 how? This past weekend at Epic, I was rooming with a dear friend of mine one of my best friends in the world. A few years ago, he, he went through cancer. And thankfully, he's, he's on the other side of it, and he's cancer-free. We celebrate every year on his cancer-free day when he, when he rang the bell on his last chemo treatment. But we were reflecting in our room late at night. And I was like, man, do you remember how bad you were during that time? Like, I, I sat with him for a bunch of the chemos, and, and I would visit him, and man, it, it, he was so nauseous and sick, and he dreaded it. I was like, do you remember how bad you were? And he was reflecting on it. And then we just started reflecting on how many friends we could identify of ours that we went to college with, like our age or younger, who have been diagnosed with cancer since college. Guys, I know I'm old, but I'm not like that old. Right? And when I think of, when I personally, when I think of like cancer diagnosis, I always imagine someone who's older. And my friend and I were 
reflecting on the fact that so many of our friends have been diagnosed with cancer. And we were talking about his journey. We were talking about their journey. And we were talking about what God was doing in the midst of those realities. Life is hard. Father James wants to sit down with us and say, hey guys, listen up. This is real. Be real. Life is hard. You need to know that life is hard. And at your phase of life, life is hard. And as you get older, you will discover life is hard. And it's hard in different ways. And you'll discover deeper pains than you knew you had. And you'll discover deeper sorrows than you knew could be, could be achieved. You will, dis- you will see more suffering. You'll put more people in the ground. You will see it up close. James wants us to know, hey, life is hard. But when life gets hard, choose joy. How can, how can someone literally be sitting, you know, you can imagine James in the room, he's written one verse. Let me start with my name. Hello, everyone on the run. Mm, what's my next thought? Ah, when life gets hard, choose joy. Like, he jumps right into it. Verse 2, how can someone be sitting there saying, hey, when you encounter trials of various kinds, you need to know this, choose joy. Count it a joy. When you butt up against life's problems, when you realize life is hard, choose joy. When you break down in the middle of the night on the side of the road, choose joy. When you're going through one of the worst imaginable realities that this world can offer you, choose joy. When you are in the midst of sorrow and brokenness and sickness and illness, choose joy. How can he pin these words? Who has the audacity to lead us into that way of thinking? James does. Because James desires for us to experience Jesus to the fullest possible degree. And what James knows is, what James knows is, your perspective in life can determine your destination. If you don't choose joy, you can actually end up in an entirely different destination. Same circumstances affecting every person, but your perspective determines where you go. Joy leads you to deeper places of joy. Joy leads to joy. Joy leads to growth. Bitterness leads you to distance and anger and wrath and complaining and sorrow. Joy leads to joy. In the midst of life's hard, choose joy. That's what James is saying. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another word for that is endurance. And let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is trying to help us think about the final destination, the final outcome. That perfect and complete, lacking in nothing outcome. He's not talking about perfect in terms of like, oh, you never do anything wrong. But he's talking about a full maturation. Like you have reached the fullness of your maturity in this life. You have become more like Jesus. Let me ask you guys, has anyone ever prayed this prayer? It is so bold and so dangerous and so radical. But has anyone ever prayed something like, God, would you help me become more like Jesus? Anyone ever pray that prayer? Oh, some of you guys are like, yeah, I'll put my hand up for that. Anyone ever pray that prayer? Has anyone ever prayed something like, oh, God, I've got, a, I've got a, like a, a cursing problem. Would you, you don't have to raise your hands on these. <laughs> Let me just figure this one out. I've got a cursing problem. Would you help me control my tongue? 
God, I've got a lust problem. Would you help me control my eyes? God, I have an anger problem. Would you help me be gentle with people? God, would you help me have self-control? God, would you help me have a better perspective? God, would you help me? Has anyone ever prayed to God for help? One of the things you may not realize is God loves to answer those prayers. He just answers them in a way that you're like, oh, I didn't mean like that. That's not what I wanted. Most of the time we pray that prayer as like God is a genie. All right, I can do anything you want. I just can't make people fall in love. That's it. From Aladdin, right? But God's like, oh, no, no, no. I'd love to answer your prayer. But the, the way we get to that answered prayer is actually going through some hard stuff. It is the difficulties and trials in this life that actually make us more like Jesus. Now, you may say to me, ooh, I don't like how that feels. Like, God is the one creating. Like, he's the one making it so hard on us. Real quick, James 1.13, if we just skip ahead a little bit. James 1.13, James says this, hey, 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 let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So James knows where our minds would go. Oh, God's making me go through this. Ha! James like, nope, 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 nope. He is not the tempter. God is not the tempter. What James wants you to know is life is hard on its own. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's broken. We join the rebellion. Sin has spread. The curse is in all of us. The world is broken. You'll experience suffering. You'll experience hardships. You'll experience loss. There is deep, deep pain to be experienced in this life. James wants to remind you, but it's not God dangling that in front of you. But God will step into the midst of that pain with you and use it for you. So James is calling us and inviting us. So hear me. I don't have this as a slide, but write this down because this is good. James is calling us not to rejoice in what is broken, but to rejoice in what God is doing in the brokenness. I think James is saying, hey, count it all joy. And then in parentheses, you can insert that God is working in the midst of your brokenness to make you more like Jesus when you encounter trials of various kinds. If you only focus on the trials, your perspective will lead you to more anger, more bitterness, more wrath, more complaining. But if you focus on the fact that God is actively at work in the midst of our brokenness and making us more like Jesus, then all of a sudden it becomes easier to choose joy. God, I don't understand how this works. I am hurting. I am broken. I am angry. But I believe that you are at work in me to make me more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for that, God. Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you've ever prayed any kind of prayer of like, God, would you make me more like Jesus, or would you help me grow in, God says, yes, I will, son. Yes, I will, daughter. But the pathway there is very uncomfortable. This word here, testing, it's, it's derived from the same word that ancient silversmiths would use as they would refine their silver. They would test their silver. And so what they would do is they would heat up their silver as hot as they could get it in this big pool. And as the silver heated up, all of a sudden, what would float to the top in this liquid silver now would be all of the impurities in that silver. And it wasn't 
silver like the rest. It was discolored or black or something like that. It's called dross. And so all the dross would come to the top and the silversmith would scrape, literally scrape all of those impurities off the top. And then silversmith would do the same thing. He'd heat up that silver as hot as he could get it and let the other impurities come to the top, scrape and remove it, heat it up and let the other impurities come to the top, scrape and remove it. And silversmiths would do this until there was no more impurities coming to the top and they knew they were done when they could look at the top of the silver they've been working on and they could see their own reflection. Like think about James using this word that's derived from how silversmiths would work with silver. That your faith is being tested, or in other words, God is working on your faith. And what he's doing in the midst of your faith is he's allowing hard times to test you so that all the things that are killing you and leading you away and causing pain in your life are coming to the surface and our gracious God is scraping them away. And then God uses other circumstances and, and hard times to bring other things to the surface to deal with the very things that you've prayed for God to help you with. Help me control my, my cursing. Help me control my thoughts. He's bringing all those to the surface so he can scrape them away. And this is the process of life. And I love this imagery. How does the master silversmith know he's done working on this silver when he can see his reflection in the top? Imagine God working in our lives and being able to look down and see yeah, yeah, that looks like Christ. That looks like my son now. The master has been at work in our lives. James wants us to know that our suffering does not go to waste and that God is not absent. Life is hard. Perspective determines our destination. Trials are the pathway to progress. Trials are the pathway to progress. Hard times is actually the journey. Most of us spend so much time trying to avoid them. James wants us to know, no, no, no. Trials are the pathway to progress. If you want to be more like Jesus, you need to understand life is hard. It's just part of it. So Matt, do we rejoice in the fact that it's hard? No, no, no. You rejoice in the fact that God is working in the midst of the hard. That the dross is coming to the top and God is actively at work in you to make you more like Jesus. That is worth rejoicing about. Doesn't mean it's not going to be sad, hard, frustrating, confusing. But it does mean you can have joy in the midst of that because God is at work. Your suffering is not wasted. Life is hard, but trials are the pathway to progress. Now, what does James say? Next verse, verse 5. He says, look, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. So how many of you have ever gone through something hard and you're like, God, why? Help me understand this. James knows that's where we go. And he's like, look, 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 if any of you needs wisdom to understand what God is doing, just ask him. If any of you needs help, just ask God. And he would love to help you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But, here's the prerequisite, let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now this is a confusing verse because you're going to be like, dude, but I don't get this because the whole reason I lack wisdom and the whole thing that I need to ask God for is because I have doubts. But now James is saying, ask if you have doubts and God will give wisdom, but don't ask if you have doubts. What is James saying? I don't get that. So a better understanding of this verse is not doubting like 
cerebral, like, oh, man, I'm just struggling to understand what God is doing. Think of the word doubting there like wavering. Like, where do you align your life? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without wavering. In other words, James is saying, hey, listen, life is hard. You're going to need some help. You're going to want to know what God is up to. So if you need wisdom, ask God. But if you're going to ask God for wisdom about what he's up to in your life, do it in faith. Don't ask God for wisdom and understanding and then go out and live like you don't know God. That's what James is saying. If you're going to ask God for wisdom, ask in faith without wavering. In other words, you can't be on both sides of this fence. If you want to understand what God is doing, but then you live far from God, you're wavering in the midst of your faith, you're probably not going to understand what God is doing. The person who wavers is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person is, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is a person who's got a foot in both camps. I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't really believe in Jesus. I had a student one time who really, really wanted the benefits of being a Christian, like eternal life, security in heaven, you know, those type of things. Those are pretty good. He wanted all the benefits, but he didn't want any of the commitment here on earth. And he, he literally walks up to me one Sunday night. Literally, he, he comes up to me. He says, Matt, I got it figured out. I said, all right, dude, lay it on me. He says, bro, I got it. I'll come to church on Sundays, but Fridays and Saturdays, I'll just get wasted and go to all the parties. It's the best of both worlds. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like I'm not sure you understand, my guy. <laughs> like, in his mind, he had to figure it out. I was like, dude, it's just not, you're married to two different things, man. That's a person who's wavering. They want both, but they don't want to let go of either. And James is saying, look, you're going to be confused. Ask God and he'll help you, but ask him with faith, not wavering in this double life. That, that person's like you're standing out in the sea and the waves are coming in and you have like no balance. You're not rooted in your faith. So first things James wanted us to know is trials are the pathway to progress. Next thing he wants you to know from this little passage here is trials reveal my need for God. Do you understand every single thing that happens to you in this life? Do you understand why it happens? Do you understand how it connects to the big picture? Do you understand why it matters? Do you understand what to do with it? Do you understand how to use it, how to grow from it, how to process it? My guess would be no. I've never met anyone in my life who understands with clarity everything that's happening to them in this life. And therefore, we need help. We need wisdom. And James is reminding us Trials are the pathway to progress, but trials reveal the need for God. You can't do this life alone, bro. Last verse I want to hit on. We're skipping the the 9 through 11 here. I just want to touch on 12. James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or who endures under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Now, this is a really interesting verse, and James ends it in a really interesting way. James says, hey, listen, you're going to go through hard times. Life is hard. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under those trials, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who, and you might suspect he'd say, those who pass the test or those who endure the trials. But James says, no, 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 those who love him. God has promised eternal life to those who love him. 
And so one of the things that James is connecting here is this. Remember his foundational principle for the night. Life is hard. Trials will come. Choose joy in the midst of trials because trials are the pathway to progress. Trials reveal your need for God. He also wants you to understand those who endure trials are actually revealing the fact that they love God. Trials reveal my love for God. The way this verse ends is so unique. He doesn't talk about our performance. He doesn't talk about passing the test. He talks about our love for God. Blessed is the man who stands steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God has promised to those who love him. Remember, guys, I know this is a heavy book, and I know James came out with a haymaker in the first few verses. Like, dang, dude, like this is a heavy book. But remember, people are dying. James is writing to a group of people who are on the run for their lives. He's not mincing words. He's got a very direct message. And he's saying, yo, yo, life is hard. I know you guys are dying out there. Consider it a joy when people are hunting you down in the name of Jesus. For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance having its full effect will lead to a complete and mature, perfect, lacking in nothing kind of faith. Don't forget you need God. It's going to be confusing, so ask him for wisdom, but ask him with faith. Don't be double-minded. Don't claim to follow Jesus, but not really follow Jesus. And remember, those who endure, they will receive eternal life because they have proven they love God. Trials prove my love for God. There are some people in the room tonight who've got some relationships going on boyfriend, girlfriend, little boo things, that sort of thing. Maybe some of you guys in the room uh, one day want to get married. I don't know. Maybe. It's great, by the way. It's fantastic. I, won't, I am married. I won't camp on this long. Sometimes I dig myself. I am married. I am married. It's true. It's true. And uh, listen, when Lauren, when my wife and I, when we were dating, in the early years of dating, we encountered a lot of problems. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, when you start entering relationships with people, baggage comes out and drama happens. I don't know if you know that. James would say, hey, life is hard. Okay, come here, son. I got some dad advice for you. Life is hard. Lauren and I had a lot of baggage to sift through um, in, in our dating years. And we really came to crossroads a lot of like, are we in this thing? I can't, there were multiple times my wife and I would come to this place and be like, dude, let's just be done. Let's just be done when we were dating. Because we just couldn't figure out how to navigate through some of these challenges. And so thankfully, we had wise people who counseled us and mentored us and walked with us through a lot of these things. And we worked through it and we grew and got wiser and learned. But there's always more. It's like, dang, man, this is hard too. And sometimes we have this notion in our minds that like no matter how difficult the relationship, once we get married, it's just going to be like <laughs> happily ever after. Like no more baggage, no more problems, no more fights. You just understand each other perfectly. You never argue. You never have misunderstandings. Everything's communicated perfectly. Everyone's on the same page. Husbands are knocking off every honey-do list in the house. Wives have everything ready for the husbands that they expect. You just, some, somewhere in our minds, we just expect marriage is the golden ticket to the most satisfying life imaginable imaginable, right? I know all the statistics say otherwise, but for me, it'll be different. Like, we just have this idea in our minds. And one of the things I want to tell you tonight is the truth, and I, I'll quote our father James here and say, life is hard. Marriage is hard. 
It is not easy. Um, I do premarital counseling with a, with a good number of couples. I guide them through the early stages of approaching marriage. In fact, I officiate a wedding in November of my dear friend Tyler Smith, JJ. Yeah, I get to marry Tyler in November. Yeah. Hey, Tyler. And uh, anyway, every time, every time I meet with couples and I do premarital, one of the things I navigate with them is the baggage they're carrying, the invisible baggage. We talk about family systems. We talk about how they were impacted by their parents or lack thereof. We talk about all the things they're carrying that are going, that are going to affect the relationship. When you stand at that altar and you make a vow and you say, for better, for worse, for sickness and in health, richer, for poor, till death do us part, like one of the things I try to help young couples understand is what you're promising is a guaranteed commitment in a future that is uncertain. You're saying no matter what comes tomorrow, we are committed tomorrow. We're saying it today for something we don't know. That is a radical thing. The vows are powerful, man. And so in my marriage, guys, you guys know I love my wife, but one of the things that has been revealed over the course of 10 years, we celebrate 10 years next month, one of the things that has been revealed is how much baggage we still carry and how many things come to the surface that we still have to deal with and navigate through. And there are times when it's like, this is hard. I am done. I am exhausted. I have no more mental capacity to have another conversation about this thing. Why does this thing keep coming to the surface? And one of the things that marriage tests is, do you love this person enough to stay committed and endure the trials? James is using this same idea of life is hard. There will be opportunities for you to say, I'm done, I'm out. But those who endure prove how much they love God. Over the years, some of you guys have asked me about, Matt, why do you wear two rings on your Wedding finger. If you don't know, I have two rings. I wear two. And over the years, people are like, why? What, are you, what is that about? And I tell them. The top one, this is the one Lauren gave me 10 years ago, October 27, 2012. The bottom one is, if you were to do a, a study of my entire family, you would see that there's not one single couple in my whole family who is, who is like still married or has a healthy marriage. Like aunts and uncles. Actually, that's not true. One aunt and one uncle have been married forever. I just don't know them. But aunts and uncles, grandparents, both sets, my mom, my dad, if you go up in the tree, like marriage is just not a staple of my family. Everyone gets divorced in my family. So when I was about to marry Lauren, I was terrified. Like literally paralyzed with fear. Like, oh, what if? And... The second ring on my finger is like the symbol of redemption. In other words, like, I'm going to wear the ring that every man in my family should still be wearing. My kids will never know what it's like to grow up without a dad. Ever. But life is hard. Marriage is hard and trials come. But as we endure those trials, my love is proven all the more. It's not easy. And one of the things that James is drawing us into in our relationship to Jesus, in our marriage to Jesus, the Bible uses marriage terminology a lot to describe our relationship. One of the things that James is drawing us into is life is hard and you will be confused and you will want to bail on this thing. But 
If you have the perspective to see it, because remember, perspective determines destination. If you have the perspective to see it, you can choose joy in the midst of life being hard and understand that God is working in the midst of your brokenness. Trials are the process that leads to progress. And when you lack in wisdom, you can ask God for help because trials reveal the fact that you need God. And when it feels like done and you feel like bailing and you just want to be done with this whole thing, endure all the more because trials reveal the depth of your love for God. Father James wants to sit down with his kids, kind of pull us in and say, guys, I know it's so tough, but listen, it's so worth it. God is good. He works in your brokenness. Trials are actually the things that work on you to make you more like Jesus. God will help you when you need him. Your love is revealed through it all. Endure to the end because God promises something far better than this world. He promises life forever and ever and ever. And it is good and worth it. So choose joy. Let your perspective lead you to a good place. Amen? All right. Let's pray together, fam. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you for your brother, James, who shortly before his own death, sat down and started writing what he felt like was important nuggets of wisdom for an up-and-coming generation, a generation who is trying to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, in the midst of death, staring death in the face with heavy persecution. They're on the run for their, their lives, and James is saying, hey, let me give you some wisdom to help you have a proper perspective in this life. Father, I pray over this room of my brothers and sisters in the faith that we would choose joy in the midst of trials, ask for help in the midst of trials, and prove our love in the midst of trials for you. Life is hard. It's not easy just because we believe in Jesus. It's hard. But what is guaranteed is the hope we have in the gospel and the reality of a better forever as we endure to the end and receive life with you, God. So we cling to that hope. We ask that you would help us in the midst of our trials. Help us cling to you and remind us that we're never alone. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.